0: hello and welcome to another wannabe entrepreneur episode today i have an interview it's been a while since i've done one of these but this one is very special because i have with me simon Oyberg, the founder of feedhive that i have already interviewed here in this podcast and as well Josef, who is an indie hacker is also member of the WB community our community for indie makers And he is the founder of Tiny Kiwi. Now, today's episode is very special because in the end of 2022, Simon acquired Yosef's company, Tiny Kiwi. And today we have both parties discussing the whole process. Why did Yosef decided to sell? Why did Simon thought it was a good idea to acquire? And they will be describing the whole process from their own perspective. It's a great opportunity for you to learn what you need to be aware when selling or acquiring a company and as well to understand better what's going on in our lovely indie community. So without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome! Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time, both of you. Thank you. Very nice. I think it's the first time I'm actually meeting Yossi face to face. Could it be? Yeah, I think so. You look very (laughs) similar to the photo, so yeah, that's for sure. You. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Yossi, just to give a little bit of context, uh, is a member of the WB community, and I I kind of followed you building Tiny Kiwi. I'm not sure if it was from the start, but I remember like early on, you know, when you're when you're yeah. showing tiny kiwi to the to the to the members of the community, and uh, and you were also sharing some uh, some codes, you know, some discounts for for people to try it out. And I remember, I think it it was even before a Schnapper. Am I saying this correctly, Schnapper from Tony Dean?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was before.
0: Yeah. So. It was something completely new. And I thought, wow, this is cool. This is really interesting. Uh, and, and it's so cool also to see how... Because now the community is, I guess, like one year and a half old. Or even more, I don't know. And it's so cool to see how the members evolve. Uh, some members kind of stay the same. But other members, they really had a huge jump in terms of uh, revenue and what they've built, what, how they have grown. So it's 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 great now to see um, that you were able to make such a great tool and then um, sell it, uh, and now you're already working something else. So I, I think that that's also a very interesting aspect to to explore, which is this this market of also selling a company for in the indie scene. Right, we are used to to hearing this on the on the startup scene and like the VC scene, but in the indie scene, this yeah. is really cool. And I think more now more than ever, people are really. Even the VCs, they are thinking, "Wow, we should invest in these because these people, they are profitable or mostly profitable from the start, right?"
1: Yeah.
0: Yossi, tell me a little bit about yourself, and uh, because I, I've already interviewed Simon here and we had a full introduction about him and about this products and indie journey and everything, so it's already the second time that is here in the podcast. Um, but for you, Yossi, it's the first time. And I would love to hear a little bit more about yourself. I know that you're a developer as well. And uh, yeah, just tell tell us who is is Yossi.
1: So Yossi is uh, 38 years old. Uh, Here's the number.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Brave, saying uh, the number right away.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Father uh, to two small children, um, married and... I've been building a software for the fair part of the last 15 years, I think. Like I started mm-hmm. way, way back. And I was always passionate about side projects and building stuff on my own. And throughout my career, I helped build a lot of products for other people. And I also do... Do that now. Like I have a full time job, which I really love, but there was always this uh, uh, entrepreneurship itch uh, that uh, never let me go. And I used to think that in order to to scratch that itch, I need to like uh, quit my job and go uh, uh, full time uh, and raise money from VCs and all uh, all this Mm -hmm. stuff, like all this mainstream uh, entrepreneurship stuff. And when I stumbled across uh, the building public community on, on Twitter, uh, like a year and a half ago, it was, my mind has blown and was like, oh, these these are people that I feel much more related to yeah. than like people who go and raise millions from VCs before they have like basically wrote the first line of code. And yeah. If they, I felt that if they can do that, why can't I do that? Like I, I'm spending my evenings and early mornings uh, building anyway. Uh, so why not treat the things that I build as actual products? And it was a huge moment. For, like it was a huge mind shift for me. And I'm glad it happened. And since then I started uh,
0: working on products that...
1: I, I want them to see the light of day. I want users to actually use them. And here I am.
0: What you just described, I think everyone goes through the same. At least I've I've spoken with a lot of people and they always say, yeah, I I do this as on the side uh, and for fun. But I never knew, because we always thought, because we grew up seeing uh, Zuckerbergs and Elon Musks and all of this tech scene and thinking, okay, exactly, if you want to build a company, you need to start you need to raise money, you need to hire a team, you need to do all of that. And we always thought that that was the only way. Funny enough, we forgot that uh, uh, I remember, for instance, my my grandpa, he had a business, uh, which is kind of a lifestyle business, but there was no internet. So it was selling um, like a kiosk kind of of business where you basically sell all kind of stuff. And that's a, a lifestyle business. A lot of people had it. But for, for some reason, there was this shift when people say like, no, if you want to start a business now, don't, do, like, don't ask for money to a bank. You need to like raise millions and, uh, and that's the only way, right? Yeah. Uh, but funny enough, that's actually not true. We, we, especially if you're a developer, you can build something fairly cheap. Uh, and I remember once I was having an, um, doing a talk about, about indie hacking about the, the whole concept about our community. And, and a few people came to me after the talk and they said, wow, I am an indie hacker and I didn't know it. <laughs> One question that immediately came to my mind, and I don't know if it's the same for Simon, because uh, Simon is uh, a recent father as well. Uh, yep, congratulations. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. And Josie, uh, you said you're a father of two, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How, how old are they?
1: So the little one is three, and my biggest is six. I actually kicked them out of the house now, but uh, if they come <laughs> back and you hear, like, things are breaking in the background, stuff, don't worry about it. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, Simon, if you have the same question as me, but you have been six years, you have been an indie, uh, indie father, plus you have a full-time job. That's correct. Plus you are building your projects. How do you yeah. get the time for all of this?
1: So I don't have a lot of hobbies.
0: <laughs> that's, okay. that's the
1: truth. Like my hobby is uh, is coding and building stuff and working on products. So it really fits into my, uh, like some people uh, finish their day job and they're, I don't know, playing on their PlayStation or watching uh, Netflix. Uh, and I like to yeah. build stuff. So it's, it comes really natural for me to just, close uh, one laptop and open another one and just building stuff. Because when you're building things for yourself, it's like no matter how how much you love your day job, it's completely different. Like uh, I'm obsessed with the autonomy and mm-hmm. I have 100% control uh, on every decision, uh, product decision, design, design decisions, uh, code architecture. Um, yeah. And it, it's really like it doesn't feel like a job <laughs> it, it's, it's yeah. weird to say but i'm really enjoying the the process and i i al- always uh, really felt really connected to the to the business like some developers and it's fine are really mm-hmm. into the code like just let me write the code I don't care about the business the product and i never right. i never approached my job as a developer like that like i was always this annoying developer who asks the uh, the annoying questions on the product kickoff meeting and have opinion about everything
2: uh, it's just awesome to hear, uh, to hear that I think all good indie founder stories starts like this like everyone I know at least you know you, you hear sometimes these stories about people saying like I had to I was about to get fired from my job I had excessive uh, debt in the bank and, and if I didn't succeed with this I, I just kind of had to succeed and they, they're they're mostly always the most toxic starts of good founder stories. And this is the real thing. Yeah. This is what I hear from mostly everyone. Like, have a nice, stable job. Go home, but instead of watching Netflix or play, PlayStation, you just sit and build because you just can't help it. And I, I really like it.
0: I, I like it and I, I have it so much. Because when I was working and doing this at the same time, I, I couldn't hack it. I couldn't do it. And I'm not even a father, so... I don't know. It's uh, when you spend eight hours a day in, in your laptop and then you go home and you spend another eight, it's, it's. Uh, I don't know, it's it's not easy. But the fact that you are able to do it, it is incredible.
1: I think a lot of people uh, uh, treat it like as I have my day job and I give everything to my day job and that's always the right thing to do because usually the day, the day job pays the bills. Uh, but But the thing about like, being an indie founder and working on your own things that you set the rules like no one no one said that okay i now need to go and sit for eight or six hours maybe i can move a little bit slower and sit for an hour maybe two hours maybe you can skip a day sometimes i skip days like if 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 a specific day like I, i come exhausted and i had like a rough day at work so no I won't I won't make myself unless I have like a, a
0: super right. huge
1: bug or something like that like you set your own rules
0: you don't have the same pressure yeah
1: yeah and you can dial the turn the dial up and down uh, as as it fits uh, your life because mm-hmm. you know life always True. gets
2: in the
0: way 100% one thing that is interesting you said that this is your hobby right so now uh, simon I'm curious uh you're doing this full time right yeah do you? What is your hobby then? Like, is your hobby still
2: the <laughs> hacking, or do you yep. get to have well, other hobbies? But well, 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 yeah, it's interesting. But because yes, it is. Um, I, I went f- uh, full time at Feed Hive two years ago now, and and at the time I went full time, I was very, very. Um, I knew from the start that this was not going to be. I'm not the all in kind of person that that this is not going to be. I'm, I won't allow it to kind of like just swallow me whole and and be. Become th- right. that kind of obsessed founder. So started Feedhive. I made that into my full time job and quit my full time job. But as soon as Feedhive became my full time job, I needed new side projects because I, it's the same, <laughs> right? Like so, I spent eight hours working on Feedhive and then I go on to Linkdrip or my YouTube channel and now Tiny Kiwi because that it, it that those become the new side projects. And at some point, I see it more now as as if like I I don't consider myself working on multiple products per se. I'm, I'm working on an ecosystem. Now the whole thing plays together. And I really feel right. like when I put my effort into something, anything that is in my either my product portfolio or the channels that I'm building, I'm working on the whole thing. That's how it feels at this point. Um, so the whole thing is now a mix of side projects, full-time job. And just like Yossi pointed out, I also don't have any where to be or someone to deliver something to at a specific time. So I get up every morning and I kind of pick and choose what, what a little bit of mix of like, what, what do I need to focus on to push things forward? And what do right. I want to spend my time on today? What do I feel like doing? Mm-hmm. But you, you know what? Um, what scares me about all that is
0: the fact that our hobby is our job. And that puts us very vulnerable to be addicted. I feel, because when, when you're doing something that you truly, truly love, that you really enjoy doing, which is uh, working in, in our indie, indie projects, but at, at the same time, you you think it's something that you need to do as well because it's what's bringing you money, it's a good justification to just work all the time because you both love it and, and you need to do it so you can justify to others that you need to work and then you can justify to yourself because you say, I love it. How do you manage this? How do you manage not turning into a work addict?
2: I gotta be completely honest. It is s- concerns that I have had myself. It's, um, I have the same way. I can't, I don't remember when I watched the Netflix movie the last time. I n- literally never do that uh, ever. I, I'm up when I'm like, I would say 95% of my time awake, I spent one way or another on doing all of this. And that's not that I feel that I work all the time. It's just I'm naturally drawn to it. I simply can't help it. I couldn't imagine anything better to spend my time on. Now, I just had a kid. So, of course, I've like a lot of time (laughs) now naturally goes to that. It's something that I don't have to kind of, I don't feel like I don't have to like argue with myself whether I should now spend time on being with my kid rather than working. It comes pretty naturally. But when I do have free time. I just can't sit and, and do nothing. I will naturally end up back working here. Yeah. Um, it. I, I don't feel in any way that I'm addicted to it, but I, I am sometimes aware that me talking about this and framing it from my angle and how I roll um, might sometimes um, give the wrong impression on social media. Does it
0: ever happen to you to take a break, like an uh, extended holiday? When I say extended, it's maybe more than a week. Let's say like two weeks, and returning after those holidays and thinking,
2: and not having the same urge to go work on your project. I haven't tried it in in the two years since I I quit my full time job to now be uh, be doing this and doing on my own. I haven't had uh, a really week, a week plus where I didn't work on my things. No, I actually didn't. I, it was easy when I was consulting because. It wasn't inherently that that was I did that for money. It wasn't that yeah. I was just like dying excited about my client's projects. I I did that for money. But the last two years while I've been doing this, uh, I haven't had plus week where I didn't touch it at all. No, yeah. but I couldn't say. That's when I kind of realized
0: that maybe this is kind of an addiction, because when I return after like two weeks of holiday or something, the the urge I feel now to go wake up and the first thing that I want to do is is go and work on my projects. This urge kind of disappears. It's mm. I still like it, but I don't have the same urge. And it takes me like two weeks to get to the same level of I want, I want to work, I want to do it. So then I kind of realized that, yeah, maybe this is what work addiction kind of hmm. is, you know, like you love it doing it so much that you just don't notice. You just, yeah, I do it because I love it. Um no i just find it something interesting and something to sure. to be aware of, so to continue things here in our in our storyline uh, at first I thought on asking Yossi to describe uh what tiny kiwi is, but I think it's more interesting to ask you uh simon w- what is describe what is tiny kiwi
2: well tiny kiwi is uh is an image editing tool that is used for People that want to make really good-looking designs really fast. You can think of it as Canva, but an even more minimalistic and easy-to-use version. I think a lot of people think about Canva as a lightweight Photoshop, where Photoshop is extremely complex. We think of Tiny Kiwi as a lightweight Canva. So even a step further down the simplicity line and still being able to achieve Ma- like uh, still being able to make some really, really beautiful looking and, and uh, really s- astonishing looking visuals that you can post on social media. Interesting. And and now Yossi, can you
0: describe TinyQE and what what did you idealize when you first built it? Uh,
1: so first of all, someone, uh, someone explained it very well. <laughs> so I, c- I don't think I can top that. And also I was sitting here. Uh, uh, smiling uh, proudly, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, Tiny Kiwi, it, I think a simplified version of uh, Canva. Uh, it's it's a great way to to like it's a great one liner for uh, Tiny Kiwi. And uh, also, when I uh, originally built it, I imagined something that will really really uh, suit my needs uh, as a, as a, an indie developer who wants to build in public. And shares uh, like beautiful screenshots of what I'm working on, and I started building Tiny Kiwi as an internal tool for myself because I felt mm-hmm. at that time uh, there wasn't any good options, or I felt uh, like that, uh, to add like text and arrows and play around with the images. Uh, most of the tools at that time were like, uh, okay, just grab some some predefined background and put it um, behind your your, uh, screenshot, and I felt like I want more control. Yeah, it's a way to share uh, beautiful uh, images with your audience in a captivating way. And the emphasis is to do it as quickly as possible, but allowing you um, to play around uh, with your style, with your branding, that's Kiwi. That's how I see Kiwi.
0: That's interesting because... Even though you you do uh describe the tool in a in a similar manner, my first impression with Tiny Kiwi is a tool to share screenshots in social media. That's what I thought it, it was. I never thought like did it could be a lightweight canva, for instance. Um and it's interesting already because I see that Yossi is already maybe thinking, okay, the, the reason why I built it was so that I could share it. So it has this, this intention. Um and, and uh and for Siemens, you focus more on no, I want this to be a lightweight company. What
1: happened as, as I worked on tiny Kiwi, I realized it can be much more than just a screenshot tool.
0: When did the thought of possibly selling it uh came start like popping up in your head and and why
1: the the process from me realizing I need to sell tiny Kiwi to the moment that I actually uh started the process of selling it was i think it was really minutes it was one bus ride uh, from my way back home from work i felt really really bad that i don't have time to work on tiny kiwi as i used to because i started a new project that i was really passionate about and also i had a rough day at work and the thought of going back and working on tiny kiwi features was was really too much and I stared out of the window. It's, it's really cinematic, but this is how it was. I stared out of the window and I said, it's, it's unfair for your paying uh, users that you don't put uh, the, as much as uh, attention you used to to Tiny Kiwi and it's time to let it go and uh, to pass it on to someone who could take it to the, a whole new level. Like I felt I'm in a position that, that all my projects and my side job uh, were too much. And I remember I began uh, thinking about it. And then I remembered that uh, me and uh, Simon had uh, has a chat uh, a few months uh, earlier about integrating Tiny Kiwi into FeedHive. So I just DM'd him. And I think, uh, and, and Simon has this uh, auto-reply, which is super understandable. Like, I will get back to you as soon as I can. I'm getting a lot of DMs. And I was like, sent a DM and continue staring out of the window. And I think like after 10 minutes, like I got a DM back and I was like, oh, oh, this is happening. <laughs> and two weeks later, <laughs> we announced
0: the sale. It's really a movie, a movie like situation. What, what I'm thinking is, there's so many thoughts cross crossed my head. Um, the, f- the first one is how a lot of great ideas come in resting and passive situations. And that's something that I've also have been learning. Well, like as I'm working a lot and we tend to do this a lot, like work, 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 work. And we, we try not to rest uh, or not to have any passive times. We're always on our phones, right? Even when we go to the toilet, that's something interesting. We, don't, we, we, we can only, only really rest when we take a shower or something because if you're in the toilet, you're like, okay, let me just check. So we are always bombarding our brain with ideas. And sometimes... When we have time to reflect, is when we're commuting or, uh, and doing these interesting things. And um, it's interesting that this idea yeah, came to you in that, in that situation. Did you ever sell any company before? Because like, for me, I don't, I don't even put this as a possibility, right? So I, I don't even know. So why did you ever sell? Did you hear anything about selling? Why do you think this idea came to your mind while you were in the bus?
1: Uh, So, I never sold anything, basically. (laughs) Like Literally, I didn't even have a lemonade stand or something like that. I never sold (laughs) anything. Uh, I was always uh, uh, earning money from uh, day jobs. Uh, So, the whole experience was super, super new to me. And because I realized that I can no longer um, work on Tiny Kiwi as I used to and as I want to, it was like very obvious to me that someone might benefit from it like i put a lot of love into this product and like shutting it down like it that it, 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 it didn't okay. even cross my mind or something like that so mm-hmm. the the next thing is like okay I'll, I'll just pass it on to someone who can right. give it the love that i used to give it and it's weird i'm talking about a product <laughs> ways of love but but <laughs> It's really is like it's a complicated relationship with our products, right? It's like it's complicated, like it's a love hate, like the whole. I
0: totally get it. Yeah. Whole
1: rainbow, of, you know, emotions.
0: At this point, um, Tiny Kiwi had customers, like paying customers, right? And I right. think that also makes makes a huge difference because you always feel, even if you only have one paying customer, that changes the dynamic so much. Because suddenly you are attached to the product. Suddenly, you are—if you just decided to close it or or not to put your love into it—someone else is being being affected, right? So that's something that uh, really affects me as well with my projects.
1: Exactly. Like the, the moment someone is paying their hard-earned money uh, to your product,
2: it's it's a moment that changes everything. It's it literally changes everything. It's so it's so weird because. It works in the opposite as well, because I, I have it, it exactly the same way as you have anything with FeedHive. Decisions can be hard. We have a lot of users now, so whenever we roll something new or try something new, it's, it's with a lot of care. And it's it's not that when we took over TinyKiwi, it's not that I I that I was in any way careless about it, but it's not the same when you adopt a product that you didn't build. One of the first things we did with TinyKiwi was it's to place an ad. When you go now in Kiwi, you click export the image, a FeedHive ad just comes up. That was the first thing. <laughs> if this was on FeedHive, normally I would be a bit more back and forth. Can we do this? Is this pushing too hard? Is this too aggressive? Here, placing that ad on Kiwi was just like a five-minute decision. Yeah, of course we should have an ad. And that's, again, yeah, like I definitely care about the users that we took over from Kiwi. and I care a lot about the people that are now using it through an integration with FeedHive, but it's not the same level of um, you don't have the same attachment to it in the same way. And I actually find it healthy. It, it, you can somehow back down and take a little bit more objective, reasonable decisions when it's not your child in a, in a weird sense. That's very interesting. I've never thought about that. That
0: the attachment you have to a product you build is not the same as the attachment you have to a product you buy. Uh, and, and that can actually be good for, uh, for the product. I would say so let's go back then go back to the those few months before um, when you had that first conversation Simon, with with Yossi about integrating um integrating um tiny kiwi with feedhive what, what what was going through your mind back then why did you wanted to do this
2: well to 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 back up even further when we started talking about acquiring tiny kiwi a few months later for me, I didn't need a bus ride or any kind of clarity to, to, to make a decision on this because this is actually more than a year of pain that has accumulated over time. Because way back in uh, mid-2021, roughly feed was growing, we were getting more users. Uh, we started um, looking into a Canva integration. That was the next kind of thing to make sure that we have an image editor for our users to use. But weirdly, Canva had closed their application. So you can't now add that classical Canva button and have Canva pop up inside your app anymore. They they completely limited this. Or okay. they still had the Chinese version open. Um, and we added that because they had the normal version open. And even though it's still the same as just in Chinese, our users, they got confused about it. And a lot of them had concerns about data privacy and a lot of all. And, and it was just not possible. And we emailed Canva many times asking, when are you going to open this again? And we just got this kind of like generic answer every time. And we, in middle 2021, we started looking for other tools and we find this found this other tool uh, called Crello. It's now called Vista Create today, but it's actually an alternative to Canva and it's a very decent one. And I... Crello was was actually on AppSumo not that long before, selling as a lifetime deal. So I thought like, okay, this can't be Canva-level big organization yet since they're on AppSumo. So I started reaching out to a few of the founders in my network and, and heard them about this integration, and they all had a great experience with integrating with Crello. So I thought like, perfect. If we can't get Canva, we can at least get Crello. So I reached out to the Crello team, and it, again, I was just a little bit too late because the Crello team... Crello had just been acquired by Vistaprint and is now called Vistacreate. And the terms that I was presented to was vastly different than the ones that I had heard my fellow founders talk about when they were integrating with Crello. It was pricey. It was a lot of money we had to pay every month to integrate with this tool. And uh, the terms was um, stiff. But yet we, we went on with it and we spent a month, almost two months to kind of preparing this integration with the Vista Create. And suddenly at the very last moment, the guy I was talking to and the marketing guy that was running this whole thing, he suddenly said, oh, by the way, this monthly price that we have offered you, that's of course, if you pay the whole thing yearly. So not only did we have to pay a, a lot of monthly, a, a high monthly price, but you also have to pay times 12 and then cool. i said like, that that was not what we discussed like we had a monthly and then a 30 days 30 day cancellation period what what is it then if i have to pay monthly oh it's and then he added 20% of top on top of it just in the last moment and it wasn't that much the money it was the way this was done i was like i i just don't feel like doing business with these yeah. guys this just mm-hmm. feels not not nice at all so i um i, I completely closed down that whole uh whole discussion the the guy from Vista Create was uh, pissed off. He was really mad at us, and uh, they spent a lot of time, blah blah blah. But but not in this way. And we had a lot of like. Meanwhile, we were doing Brandbird, um, which is another tool from Jim Raptis, which is another indie indie founder. And actually, in the beginning, when we integrated Brandbird, our users were really really excited about it. They they really loved the tool. But it, we, we found out that the new users that were coming on board, and this was happening while FeedHive was up marketing. So we were targeting more and more businesses and agencies and a bit more like uh, more well-established businesses and less indie creators. And these right. people, they don't know anything about Jim Raptis or me or the whole Twitter indie community. They just came into FeedHive, which in itself is not the cheapest social media marketing tool on the market. And then they had this experience of like opening Brandbird and now they had to pay again because you need to upgrade to a Brandbird plan in order to remove the watermark and a, add a few other things to, to unlock it right. to its full capabilities. And we had a lot of users who were quite annoyed with this. And we actually tried A-B testing it, and we found out that that it, it having it there and then having to pay for it created a worse experience than not having Brandbird there at all. And um, this made us, of course, we reached out to, to Jim Raptis, the founder, and see if we could kind of make a deal with him in some way where this could be unlimited for our users through a, a monthly payment of sort. But Jim, I, don't, I I completely understand it from his perspective. It, this was just not a very lucrative deal for him. It was not good business. It was not very attractive. We have a lot of users on Vtive. ton of server cost on his behalf on something that doesn't scale proportionally with, with our user base. It was just not a good deal for him. So we couldn't land something that really worked. So we started kind of packing brand away. And for a long time, it was in this very like corner of feed You had to click a bunch of times to even find it. And this was where I, I went to, we have a Facebook group for the feed hive users. And I went in there and said like, uh, Explained them the whole thing. Uh, we can't get Canva. They they won't open. We found out that Canva, meanwhile, they were were rolling their own social media management tool. So this is why. They still don't have mm. it open today. They have it entirely closed now. So we had to kind of tell our community that we can't get Canva. This is just what it is. We we failed to get Vista creating Crello. Now we need to kind of kill off Brandbird. And we, we're out like, what do you think? Then users in this group started suggesting a bunch of tools we could do. And then I saw one that popped up again and again. Tiny Kiwi. They said, like, Simon, you should check out Tiny Kiwi. There's this new tool on the market. It's called Tiny Kiwi. Yeah, it was on Product Hunt the other day. Like, first product of the day. It looks really like something. And I was like, really? So, search on Twitter, and I saw, like, okay. I, I uh, realized, okay, Yossi, this guy's following me. Oh, cool. So, we, there, there might be some kind of, like, uh, let's see where this can go. So, I reached out to Yossi, and I was just like, let's really hope that we can get something where we can agree on some kind of unlimited edition so our users can finally get this tool and in the first round uh yossi had to get back uh, (laughs) because of time and uh, needed to kind of consider it and i was like damn and then a few months (laughs) later coming back again saying like here's the thing i'm actually considering selling it and i was like i'm in let's do it do you
0: remember when you when you got that dm on twitter do you remember where you were and how you felt
2: I was I was in my uh, in in my office here uh, working and uh, first I was I was just like I was excited and I was like relieved and I was like please let this be something so of course I started asking like okay what's the current uh, MRR and what what would the price be roughly and how is what's the tech stack is this gonna work with the ecosystem we're using now oh we're using Superbase we're using Next JS and React and and I was like, check, check, check. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> and I, I, I got increasingly more and more excited. And it was, it was a very easy decision for me to make. I didn't need any clarity or bus ride to, to kind of make this one. I was very, very <laughs> uh, eager to finally get an image creation yeah. tool into Feed Hive.
0: Yes. Did you have any idea of this that you were actually solving a huge problem for Feed Hive without, without knowing?
1: The reason I reached out to, uh, to Simon to begin with. Was because I knew that FeedHive is integrating into all these different tools. So from a business perspective, it sounds like th- that could be something that will interesting. It will be interesting for FeedHive. Like I assume they are paying like uh, for all these tools and stuff like this. So why not acquire one? Um, like there's a million reasons not to acquire one, but but I felt like it's it it might be a good lead and. and Simon was the the first uh, person that I reached out to and also the decision to reach out to Simon was was it's funny because you're following some someone for a while and you're watching their YouTube videos and in a way like you feel like you kind of feel like you know them they're not like someone uh like that you you have absolutely no idea who you're doing business with and I was really excited when when Simon reached out back because I said, like, if I'm going to do this, and it was really, really scary for me. Like, as, you know, I don't have, like, a, a corporate behind me or a, or a company at all. It's just me. Uh, and and I felt, like, if I'm doing this process, which I'm doing for the first time, and have absolutely no idea what I'm doing regarding the process and stuff like this. I, I, I want to do it with someone who I feel like I can trust. Like, there's this right. base level of trust. And when I started chatting with Simon, it's it it, it it like it became even clearer that like okay this is someone I can trust. This is someone uh, I want to do business with, uh, and I want to take this this huge leap for me with this person, and not like someone um, that I have no idea who he is or right. what his motivations. Uh, so so yeah, it was like combination of. Of me knowing that FeedHive might be actually interesting in acquiring something like that. And also me following the journey of uh, someone and Mm. like felt that I have this, like I know, I know this kind of know this person, like good vibes, smiling, indie indie creator, uh, respected member of the indie community on Twitter.
0: Right. That's true. And uh, I totally see that, so it's someone that you can trust, but at the same time, I can see how it can also be scary, right? because what if it goes wrong? What if it does not like i don't know how, how confident you you were with your tech stack. i to be honest, some of my code I'm embarrassed to show to anyone, like like some of the code I've made just to, you know make this feature work like if if Simon was kind of like hey, i w- i want i wanna buy it like I, I don't see it." And especially looking at Simon and seeing, okay, yes, 100K followers. What if he's like trash talks to me? And like, what if he comes and says, like, yeah, this Thiago has the shittiest code ever? Uh, Like, don't don't buy it. Was this a concern from you? Or like, did you know, no, I have something really well built, something that like everyone would be proud to own? So.
1: So I don't think ever in my 15 years of career that I felt like, okay, this is something I was built good. <laughs> like, there's always this this feeling that, oh my God, I can't believe this is actually working. Like what, what have I done? <laughs> but, but when I built Tiny Kiwi, like I, I basically knew, knew what I'm doing. I went through a lot of parts like really quickly and dirty. Uh, to get out uh, to the market or publish a uh, new feature and stuff like this, and Simon asked me. One of the first questions was like, "What? What can I expect?" And I said, "Like, well, you know, <laughs> it, like it's a decent code base, but don't expect to see any <laughs> any tests, and you will see some duplication I mean, here and there." And, and I and, and I think like uh, you wouldn't expect anything else from like an indie maker sitting at home like at night uh, coding, but so <laughs> so if I would like if one of my team members will <laughs> will try to publish this code, I will probably like hell no, this is not going into production. But, but it's working and it was battle tested and tiny kiwi. At the end of the day, had like hundreds of hundreds of photos generated every month. Uh, part of the, the the diligent process was was sharing parts of the code uh, right. and oh, and, like, let's let's talk about it. Like, if I wasn't doing it with Simon, I think this is one of the moments that will make me, like, back up really quickly because I wasn't expecting it, and it totally makes sense when you think about it. But as someone who is doing this process for the first time, like, wait, I, I, I'm showing you the code, basically, uh, basically, you know, it's, it's the code. It's, like, the heart of everything. But because it was Simon, because I... Uh, we had this back and forth and I felt like I can trust him. It was, it was not, not any issue for me. Uh, but if it was someone else, I, I don't know. It, there was a moment of like, a, oh, oh, I need to send the code. Right. It
0: makes sense. But, right. but what if? Did, did you agree on a price before that? Or this is all before?
1: So I think it was like a ballpark uh, pricing, like at the beginning before, like, to, to make sure, like, we're on the same page, like, uh, okay. um, and all the, like, let's let's see the code and let's talk about tech stack and stuff like that, came after, like, this, we had, like, a baseline that we, okay, now we can talk.
2: It, I, I asked Josie to share some of the code in uh, GitHub Gists without sharing or giving me access to the entire code base uh, before okay. we kind of went on. But the, the price was, n- like, uh, partially... Uh, it was a multiple of of the the revenue that the product had at at, at the time, and it was a little bit of like uh, the the strategic advantage that we would get from from taking over tool, And though these kind kind of things are a little bit hard to quantify, um, but um, but it wasn't really the price wasn't really hung up on the the quality of the code. And I also we, we, my team and I we we talked about this before. We kind of moved on, and and I shared some of these gists with one of my developers, and and. We were like, um, we saw this as, as a little bit of like a a house that we would take over and needed to renovate a little bit before uh we could fully right. integrate it in, in the rest of our ecosystem. And and um yeah. and I talked to one of the developers on my team, being like, uh, how is this and uh decent to it? There's a few walls that needs to have a little bit of painting here and there, but um not uh not anything that was in any way a deal breaker at at the time. And then we went through letter of intent, then I got access to more of the code and more of the assets and everything, and then we took it from there we, we actually uh we ballparked the price in the very first ten minutes of our discussion, and we stuck to that price. We never uh, i i didn't see any reason to try to discount based on anything I saw in the code base and it was just pretty straightforward from there. What were you expecting in terms of quality
0: and what kind of quality would be a big no for you, Simon?
2: I think I was already pretty aware of the quality because the app was fully open you don't even have to create an account to use it almost to its its full capacity and and right now the things that are hidden behind the paywall is actually like 10% of what the app can do most of it is completely open and free so I was not I was not afraid about the quality because the app app was very functional and very fast and the whole thing was working really well something that would have been a deal breaker was the tech stack if this was a uh angular app hosted on Google Cloud or something that's completely foreign to our what my what I and my team does tech wise that would have been a deal breaker um if the the code was completely unmanageable and somehow it was working nicely when you operated it and then somehow not but but i think as as a software engineer when we've done this a lot of time we we also realize that it's just not how it works things that work really smoothly and really well when there's a lot of moving elements, which there isn't tiny kiwi. It's not, it's not that of a simple tool when you kind of start digging in in all of the things you can do, that wouldn't have worked that well if it wasn't at least somewhat decent engineer to begin with. So so I wasn't right.
0: worried. Well, what is more important for you Swimming as as a buyer um is it to have a code um uh, that is you know F- follows all the good design patterns, everything structured with the right framework and everything, or a code that might not be might be a little bit spaghetti, but it's easy to follow. Uh, it might have some duplication, but it's easy to read, easy to follow, uh, and easy for you or one of
2: your developers to just go there and tweak a few things. What would you prefer? The latter, one hundred percent, and okay. and and even our own apps are like that i think that there are different schools of software there are some software that thats um that needs to be structured and run in a certain way and then there are these kind of sas type software that is it's is a living organism it changes constantly trying to make things uh best practice engineering as you as you're taught in in the university, just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for TinyKey. It doesn't make sense for FeedHive. We have a ton of code duplication, a ton of things copied over here and there, and a ton of comments saying this is temporary, like and that, <laughs> that they delete this because the campaign is over, or whatever. So like, um, it fit in well. I I think I would be turned off if it was a thing with such so many layers of abstraction that I couldn't follow it myself, and that just getting a grasp of how to even do anything yeah. with the tool um, would take weeks to just stick into. So I was very happy to see um, see it in the state that it was. Mm. It reminded of of our own products, hands down. Yeah, hear that, all the Symphony users.
0: <laughs> uh, interesting. Okay, what 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 was the your um, what was your tech stack, Yossi?
1: And Next JS with React uh, at the time uh, JavaScript. Uh, um, database and Authentication uh, Superbase, uh, hi- I highly recommend it. Uh, Plausible for Analytics, and I think that's about it.
0: How, how is, uh, was it deployed?
1: So DigitalOcean, uh, a platform, it's really nice. I used it for many, many projects. Basically, you get a CI, CD almost out of the box. It's connected to your GitHub repository once you push to a certain uh, uh, branch published a new
0: version. Simon, does this, um, does this matter? Where is it deployed? If it's DigitalOcean, if it's Google, if it's AWS,
2: for you, does it matter? It matters a little bit. I was happy that it wasn't Google. I'm not a fan of, of um, Google Cloud's uh, ecosystem Why? at all. I think this is a thing that uh, that becomes quite religious really fast. Uh, I like Amazon. I've always been building on Amazon. I I can navigate my way <laughs> around in Amazon and, and know exactly how it's uh it's it's working. Um I, I dislike Google Cloud Platform for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of um there's a lot of UI clicking that I dislike. It's harder to do infrastructure as code. I can use something like Pulumi to set up an entire Amazon stack without touching their UI at all. Mm-hmm. Um they don't really have good support for GraphQL. They I I dislike Firebase. I don't really enjoy working in it at all. I really liked Superbase. I think it's a very it's a fresh alternative to something Firebase alike. Um but again. Then there are Google engineers sitting and saying, like, what I could say the same about everything you just said, but just with Amazon. It's like, <laughs> shit UI, horrible to work yeah. with. It's so clunky and old. And, and then the whole cloud thing becomes uh, a little bit religious. I think, I think um, the important part here is that you adopt something that your, you and your team is already experienced with using. All our other products are amazon and based on uh, Next.js and actually TypeScript, with Kiwi wasn't uh, based on TypeScript, uh, and it, it it it's the first thing we've done. I've, I have a developer now converting the whole thing to TypeScript. Um, to, to kind of like, but but I think I think it doesn't really matter whether it's one or the other. It it matters that when you when you adopt something into an ecosystem of products that you're already running, you uh, you need to make sure that it fits and that you don't get um, dependent on. 10 different vendors for 10 different things right. and documentation for 10 different things and and it's just easier when the whole thing is is together one day i might sell the entire thing be hype, tiny kiwi link drip all the products that i'm running and then i can sell something that's like i can tell these people like you just need to hire a team that know aws and typescript then they're pretty good to go and I think, I think it's, it, that's important. If the whole thing had been Google, then the whole thing had been Google. I don't think it's, it's necessarily that important. Okay. But when you're
0: acquiring a company, you want it to be, to be as matchable as possible
2: uh, or easy to migrate. Is that correct? Preferably the first one. I think if this had okay. been a Google Angular product, I had turned it down. I was, I was wondering,
0: like as, a, as an advice for all the indie hackers out there, my advice would be then, based on this, just go for something that everyone is using like something generic like yeah, react sure 100% right? but then yeah if you have google or aws and if that's a deal breaker i mean as you said aws or google it really it's a kind of a religion or digital ocean or something um so what what is the advice here for for indie makers building stuff that might want one one day to sell it besides being Going for the, the generic React and everything.
2: That is the advice. Like go for something that uh, now Yossi reached out here and it was like a good 50-50, could have been either or, but it's not like if you're gonna be building on something like Superbase and using React and using anything that like digital ocean is just on top of AWS. So that's like in the AWS um kind of uh kind of ecosystem. And it's not like if you pick one of these big ones, there is a substantial chance that you're gonna find a match that uses these products and if you're negotiating with with an, an acquirer that are non-tech then you can at least tell them which tech stack they need to hire a team for or ask them which tech stack their team is already familiar with so that would be the advice don't don't use svelte or some something like that <laughs> it's uh you're gonna have a, you're gonna make it difficult for you if your plan from the get-go is to to sell it if if, if your plan is to play around and have fun and then it suddenly kind of evolves into something that's another talk but if you're if you have that in your mind from the beginning, that that this might something mm-hmm. be worth selling someday, consider that pick, pick some of the big ones. This is
0: great. I've never I've never thought about this to be honest. This is something that I I don't believe a lot of indie makers think. Okay, what technology should I build if I want to sell it? But I think more and more it makes sense to to consider that. Was there any time when you thought, okay, this is not happening, like this sell is not happening? the this this will be a deal breaker, uh, something that didn't go as you were expecting. Is it something uh, something juicy coming uh, from from uh, top of your head?
1: I, I think I think uh, from from my perspective, once we get we went through the the due diligence part, which again I I, I wasn't aware of, which is a thing, that is a thing which totally makes sense and it should be a thing. But what, is
0: that? Was, what is that that did you so,
1: so for super obvious reasons, uh, once you buy a company, like I shared with Simon uh, small snippets of the code, but you want to see like what you're getting. And there's this moment in the in the in the cell process that like, OK, here is the access to the to the GitHub repository. And. Check it out. This is what you're going to buy, and and I, I remember that this process was like, from my perspective, was like I hope <laughs> I I hope uh, he won't back down. I hope everything will be to his liking. I hope uh, and and also I was like I didn't want to feel like I was uh, leading him, like sharing like nice snippets, but then when he sees the actual code. Uh, like, oh, okay, so there's, like, 5% that is re- yeah. reading well, and that's what you shared with <laughs> me, but everything behind it is, like, complete garbage. So when I shared the snippets, I actually, like, chose, like, uh, chose them based on, like, important and main parts of the application and not, like, the most beautiful parts of the application because, right. you know, trust is, like, the base for everything in this kind of uh, deals. But But, you know, th- this is the moment that you actually, like, here, here it is. Here is what I'm working on. This is what you're going, you're, you're going to buy.
0: And were you feeling nervous? Yes,
1: yes. There were like a few days when I was like, uh, you know, like you, you can never know. And also, everything happened like so fast that right. that you know that there was moments when I stopped and said, like, is this actually happening? Like like, like I, I'm actually going to sell tiny Q. is this, is this thing happening right now? Like it was uh, Simon was super responsive and the whole conversation went like so smoothly and and I think uh, me personally, I had fun in this two weeks process. Like it was a fun experience and, and and I had fun talking with Simon and working with him and figuring out like how to do how to do this thing. Uh, and, and yeah, there was this moment that said, uh, everything is going to explode in my face. Like this is too good to be true. Yeah, definitely.
0: Definitely. What did your, uh, uh, friend's, uh, wife said when, uh, when you described it say, Hey, this is happening. What did they say? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I actually do remember what my <laughs> dear, dear wife said. I took this pass home and I, and I got back home and I said like, uh, yeah, uh, I might sell this Tiny Kiwi. And and I believe her, her exact reaction was like, really? Something wants to buy it? And on the opposite, when I showed my wife the the Tiny Kiwi ad that created, she said to me, this is how it should be but I was like, seriously? I'm working on this. I haven't heard a single good thing from you this whole time. <laughs> and this ad, and you're like, this is how it should be done.
0: Do you remember when you got the last message? saying yes let's do the deal it's done the diligence are done uh i'm going to what's your bank account Do you remember that
1: uh so 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 i think that the the message it's it's more complicated than what's your bank account (laughs) sadly yeah yeah yeah. um but uh but i remember there was like uh it it was it's a process and and the process um it's a complicated process with a lot of different steps and each step has the uh, potential uh, to, to be a deal breaker. Like there's a lot of back and forth and you move forward uh, really like patiently and and waiting uh, for responses and stuff like that. So there's not this moment like, yeah, let's do this. There's like, okay, let's do this. Let's see code snippets. Like, okay, let's go through the code snippets. And I think the the, the moment when... Uh, the 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 moment that we went uh, past the, the the diligent phase and we start talking about like uh, wiring money and stuff like that this is was the moment that I said like okay we went through this this is this is actually happening I managed not to screw things up amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: that's the moment how did you celebrate
1: so, <laughs> so I think I celebrated I don't remember doing anything super special so this this day when we announced we finally announced on the uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter and I remember my my Twitter notification going crazy so I mostly celebrated by by answering to people and uh, uh, it it was fun like it it was fun it was a fun day it was mm-hmm. a really exciting
0: day. What about your perspective Simon, in in this uh, same situation? uh when did you realize that okay yes we are going for it <laughs> now how did you feel
2: because uh, you are the one paying the money so yeah, it yeah, might yeah, be uh, a
0: different feeling
2: well to be fairly honest um in here from my perspective things did look a little bit differently um we were starting talking about this acquisition in uh the, the end of december i think it was around like the 18th of december or something like that our our talk started and mm-hmm. We, um, a few months back, we sold almost $100,000 worth of um, pre-sales on a new tool that we launched, LinkTrip, And we were mm-hmm. running very behind on this launch. We had a date where we were like, if we couldn't offer people early access to the tool, all of the people that had paid, we would offer them all a refund. And we were running very behind. So I was stressing over getting this tool ready. At the same time, I was doing two other things that I can't tell you in now, but I'm going to have announcements about this this year. Um, okay. And I had to manage all of this. And at the same time, reaching out to my accountants and just kind of let them know I'm going to buy this software, this, uh, this uh, Israeli startup. And they were like, you know what? If you can get the purchase done this year before January, we can do a huge write-off. You have extra money that you can save in taxes. So, the Whoa. whole thing was like, okay, so we need to kind of get kind of through all of this and have the payment and the bank transfer and everything done before New Year's on top of managing these other things. So for me, this whole tiny Kiwi thing was one out of like five kind of threats that I was kind of <laughs> managing at the same time, so there was um so there was also for sure, also for me, at an element of trust because I didn't have time to thoroughly look through the whole thing. I didn't have time. Right. Yossi was very nice at making these um, videos that introduced the whole code base. And I skimmed through them and then I gave them to my developer and I told him, can you give a, kind of give it an impression about, about this tool? And he was like, it looks decent, it looks good. And I just had to trust that. And I was under a, a bit of a pressure managing a bunch of different things here. Um, but we we got it closed before New Year's, and I got to do my write-off, and we took over the tools. We announced it in early January, but we we ended up uh, doing doing the whole thing in about ten days or so. Wow. Uh, so it was uh, it was very interesting. And um, and yeah. So that was is, is there the, some kind of, of
0: guarantee? You know, when when you buy a new house or something, you get this five years guarantee, uh, or you buy some new laptop or something. Is there some kind of guarantee with a company? like, yeah, for the next two years, if something goes wrong, <laughs> Yossi will have to fix it. Kind I, of think we,
2: I think we put 30 days, or it was it 10 days or something in the contract, where, where it was like, if we found something that was like, we, we we could do kind of a force majeure, if there was something that was completely a deal-breaker, something that was never mentioned during due diligence, or something completely out of the ordinary, bad, that was not, that Yossi hadn't been transparent about upfront, then we could Turn it back. I think it's a standard okay. in in these kind of like asset purchase mm-hmm. agreements, um, but fortunately that was not.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's so interesting to see the different aspects. So in one side you have a indie maker that has a full time job and is doing things on the side and is able to sell a company and super happy, and in the other side you have a full time indie hacker. Which is super stressed because okay, I am buying this, but I have so many other things going on. Uh, so it's it's really cool to see the, the uh, different. And actually, different
2: adding things. to that, I had a, a a very very overdue pregnant wife, and <laughs> exactly. I was I knew yeah. I was about to like okay, I'm gonna have a kid very soon now actually because just to kind of emphasize that's normally not how i kind of live my life around my 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 life i'm not normally that busy everything just kind of accumulated just around this time right. and then in DM. the middle of everything Yossi jumped in a dm there like i'm i'm planning to sell tiny kiwi and <laughs> i was like okay we need to kind of get this in as well and uh yeah it comes in uh, in peaks like that
1: yeah <laughs> i remember i remember uh, uh, someone uh, dmed me like if if like i'm disappearing for like a day or two, don't worry, I'm in the hospital. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he gave me a heads up and I was like, oh, oh, exciting, like uh, amazing. But yeah, he, he managed to do a lot of stuff. Uh,
0: yeah, incredible. Fun. What does this mean for our community, for the indie community? Now, more we see, it seems that we see, I don't know if you heard, for instance, about Tweet Hunter. I had a really nice chat with Thibault. About about the sale, uh, which is, is sold the company for uh, many millions. Uh, yeah, one point four million. Of millions. course, it was incredible. No, that that's only the the first. The, you will hear in the in the in the podcast when I have time to edit. But that's that's the 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 money in the, in in upfront. But then there's a the whole deal that actually makes it much more than that, uh, which is really interesting. And and now we are starting to see these kind of things. You know, like indie companies being sold in. Uh, in a, quite often, I don't want to say daily basis, but for for a lot of money, and then also indie the, indie the makers that and bootstrappers acquiring companies, uh, and there's this old market with micro acquire and side projects. I don't remember side IO. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of marketplaces as well, and I would love to to see your perspective of uh, and and to close down this this chat. But from each one of you, your perspective in this this new era of indie making with like with people selling and buying and buying companies, selling side projects and buying side projects. Um, so maybe Yoshi, you, you can start speaking a little bit about this. So how do you see this market? Is it something that you want to do more often? Is it something that you think, okay, now I'm building a new project with a possibility of selling it. Uh, how, how did this sell change your perspective in indie hacking?
1: So, So it definitely made a difference. Like when uh, I'm now working on a new project, and uh, um, like (laughs) it it will sound funny to you, but but now I'm uh, all the different accounts that I'm using are using the same email address, and I've created a separate, like a dedicated email address for everything because one one of the the. After the acquisition, you need like to transfer, <laughs> to transfer Is it? a lot I of forgot accounts. That yeah, yeah. you How need did that to Transfer kill? a lot of accounts, and we had this like a notion, like a huge table of things that needs to be transferred. And and I was like, I sign up with my Gmail to this one. And there was a whole bunch of stuff going on, so I created a single account to manage everything. And, like, it's not so that smart. I'm thinking about selling the new project. It's not even like officially launched yet. But but just in case you know, <laughs> it's, uh, to make things easier. Uh, but I think like in a from a business perspective, uh, it really makes sense. Like you buy something from an indie maker or or an indie company, like they almost certainly like at least somewhat profitable. They they like don't have like these VCs that they need to pay back to or like shareholders who. Pull the strings uh, from behind, like uh, it's like very pure. Like you buy a product that is very pure and very really, simple. Uh, yeah, like as a rule of thumb, I'm sure there's a lot of like business things that's going on, like in big company, right. bigger companies. But but you, you like taking a product that it's almost always at least somewhat profitable. Uh, has made it on its own, like. Think about it, like Tiny Kiwi, like um, it was made kind of popular without any huge marketing efforts from my end, uh, like nothing like that. So so it's really like when you think about like in the product, it's like a rough diamond. Uh, if it gets to the point that it's actually interesting to buy it, you almost certainly have a like a rough diamond in your hand that... Uh, with the right yeah. effort and the right team behind it can really shine.
0: And it's my understanding that even if, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, but even if TinyQE was not profitable, it, was, it could still be valuable for you, for what you wanted to achieve, right? That wouldn't be a deal breaker, or would it?
2: No, it wouldn't. And, and actually, this was a thing that we had. Josie um, was using a paddle to manage his subscriptions at the time, and we had to move them all to Stripe. And with, when you ask paying users to kind of, you try to make it as easy for them as possible, but when you're asking them to kind of cancel and resubscribe, there's the yeah. chance of losing some in the way. And mm-hmm. that was just a, a bet that I had to take um, in order to get them moved. But it was exactly with that uh, thinking behind it. Even if 50% of all these users leave, um, which fortunately they didn't. Actually, we have added we have increased the user base by 50%. So so uh, MRR is 50% up since we be- took over. Because to, of the change. Yeah, no. because of the change and us trying to market it and, and market it through our channels and and mentioning it in newsletters and so on and so on. So it, it went good. But even if we had lost 50% or something like that of all the subscribers, uh, it would still be worth it because we would finally right. have a tool that we could integrate into FeedHive. And I think it we have had so good feedback from our FeedHive users. They love tiny kiwi, They love how it integrates. We recently made a new video ad <laughs> yes, where we use right. this tiny kiwi and this kind of design. We don't see a tiny kiwi, We say that FeedHive design tool. And this video ad is one of the best, one, the best performing ones we've had so far. It seems like people are really down the street of something that can make their visuals look nice uh, really fast. And, and we're converting new FeedHive users a lot just based on this new value proposition. So Mm -hmm. one thing is that we actually managed to increase the the user base of TinyKiwi, but add to that the FeedHive users we have welcomed to our platform in the last month with the primary angle being that FeedHive is also able to do this design. They have these design capabilities inbuilt to the tool. So for us, it it was still a super good decision, even if we would lose some of the subscribers in this transfer. And how do you see the this market, like the indie market of selling
0: and buying this this uh, side project? How do you see it changing in the next uh, years?
2: I, I I I first of all think it's absolutely incredible. I'm I'm so psyched about it. The fact that we can now do acquisitions like this, and it, it's not something that's uh, exclusive to huge companies. And I see that see that there's kind of like an, an evolution going on because going back ten or fifteen years. Starting your own business which is not something that everyone can do. It was incredibly difficult. There's like a ton of things that you like a huge barrier you had to kind of cross in order to actually become an entrepreneur and start your own business. That became increasingly more uh, easy. Outsourcing work like Upwork, Fiverr made it super easy to establish a team under almost right. no uh, like there's almost no risk at your end besides the money that you need to put into it but there's no salary agreements and insurance things you need to cover and all of this you can literally establish a team out of the blue and start working so starting a company and starting an internet company became easier now i'm thinking we're moving into this next thing where small bootstrapped indie companies can start playing monopoly like this acquiring other small bootstrapped tools and this is not. This is not something you're not going to get on the front page of TechCrunch from buying a tool, acquiring a tool like TinyKiwi, but that's also not the point. It's it's an evolution that's pointing towards it, it like towards the right direction where a, mm-hmm. a minimized version of what really big players do is starting to. It happen in, in these small kind of indie uh, communities, in these small circles, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's incredibly exciting. Uh, it, this is not the last yeah. time I'm going to buy a tool <laughs> like this, uh, for sure. Everyone, now get ready for the DMs, you might <laughs> ready for the DMs.
0: <laughs> and what, also incredible, you actually never met each other in person, right? No. Nope. Or did you? So that's, that's the beauty of the internet. Yeah. You know, like, it's like we are now all connected virtually. It's the power of building in public uh,
1: I think I think building in public has a lot to do with it like um, we know the creators in in, in this space um, and there's like this community uh, of, of people even if not everyone really knows each other like being part of this community opens a lot of doors
2: and I also do yeah. think it, it really adds to the trust part. I firmly believe that when we're all somewhat public and we're all public about what we do, for sure, there was a point where Yossi invited me into the code base and I still hadn't made a a bank transfer. There's no money in his bank account. If I wanted to, I could have taken the whole thing and and run with it. And then try to do a lawsuit cross-border and especially in a closed country here like Switzerland, that's very, very difficult. And if I wanted to, I could have probably gotten away with that. And I think it adds to the trust part that being so public about what I do that I, I I am. I would never risk my reputation from trying to fuck exactly. over Fendi, Indi, a fellow indie hacker like that. Um, that. And that, I think, would make it, at least for me, if it was some completely random company I have never heard about before, I never see their existence, talking to me about acquiring, I would be more... Um, careful with what I share with them that if it was some huge influence or someone that's very public about what they do where I know that they had their whole reputation at stake, I would be more keen to to go into a a more trust-based collaboration like we did here. Mm -hmm.
1: Couldn't agree more.
2: I think
0: this was definitely a success case and uh, you both sound very happy with it. And uh, I really appreciate also the fact that you agreed to speak here with the wannabe entrepreneurs because uh, it's not... Every day that we have both sides of a business, you know, sitting next, next to each other and discussing the whole uh, business and the whole process and how the perspective, the different perspectives that each one of you had. I, I surely learned a lot about this. It's also something that I've, I don't know much about, like selling and, and buying companies and any company, something that I'm getting more into in, the, in these last days, but uh, it's something new. And as you said, Simon, I'm excited as well about this this new world and this this little community, which is still very small. The indie community is still very small. Um, I think we all know the same names, right? If I if I put here a few names, Debo, Dagobert, um, Levels, whatever, like we all know them, which is incredible. I, I find it just really, really interesting. It's sure. But it's growing, and and maybe in in a few years, this will be the new VC. You know, this will be the way people make business. So thank you so much for both of of you for being part of this community and, and also really appreciate you coming here. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's the end of this conversation. I have learned a lot with both Simon and Josef. And if there's one thing I would love for you to go home with is that it's possible to sell your project even if you are pre-seed even if you are not bringing any mrr if you build a good tool a tool that is useful that is solving a problem maybe others can just acquire it for the software because they need it it's it's great because it saves a lot of time for builders as bootstrappers and i know this with my pod venture now It's just me and Jerome building our tool and we really, really lack time and development time. So if I was able to acquire a company that already solved a big problem or a big feature that we want to implement, we would probably just spend the money to do so because it would save us a lot of time. So maybe this is something for you to think about. Before you just drop your project or if you're feeling tired and just want to build something else, why not trying to maybe share it on Twitter or share it in those micro acquire platforms and platforms that allow you to sell your SaaS? Maybe that's a possibility for you. Now, that's the end of today's episode. I'll be back next week. But if you want to support this be entrepreneur podcast and if you want me to continue to uh, produce content for you and to produce more interviews first of all send me some feedback send me a message at wbtiago on twitter give me any feedback like who should i interview next and besides that if you really really want to support join our community of indie makers it's on slack and it's You can basically meet people from all over the world and uh, Josef is there and a lot of other members. So it costs 10 bucks per month and we'll be as well supporting this podcast. The links will be in the show notes of today's episode. This was another Wannabe Entrepreneur. See you next time.